Well, hello and welcome to our next episode number 10 for Data Unplugged. And today I've got the pleasure to have Dani from Clark with me. And yeah, Dani, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me, Vin. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Um, Dani, for, for all the listeners uh, that maybe don't know you or don't know what Clark is doing, would you mind just giving us a quick introduction about you uh, and, and Clark? Sure. So Clark is an insurance broker, a digital insurance broker, which that means that it's um, a helper to help you find the best insurance for your needs. Usually insurance brokers are... Um, you know, you, you find them on the high street, you go there in a shop, there's someone who attends mm. and, and, you know, yeah. listens to you and, and try to explain you what, what you need or, or whatever. We do all this digitally. But also, um, when you go to the real world in the high street, you might find brokers that are just selling insurance for one insurance company. They might be selling just for AXA or for Zurich or whatever it might be. Um, Clark is looking at all the options across the market. So we make sure that we have the best products and the most tailored for you. And we're not pushing in any way one insurance company versus another. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you very much. So uh, before we jumped on the podcast, you, you have sent me two of the blogs that, that you were doing, right? Talking about your data journey and looking at the first block versus the second block, there was a lot of changes, right? So since 2021, you had a, a pretty interesting journey in, in the data space. And I believe your first block even mentioned that, that you only had two data people. Exactly. So yeah. how about you, you tell me a little bit more about the early stages of like the data, maybe the data situation, the data maturity at Clark? Sure. So when I joined, we had a couple of um, great data folks in the company, but the platform was not, I would say it was not existent. Basically, mm. we would have the production database that the application would use to store things like, you know, your details and, you know, your insurance products and whatnot. And then we had a read replica from that. That means, you know, it's the same data as, as production, but, you know, if you query it, it doesn't affect performance of users using the app. And then there was a whole bunch of analytics being done on that read replica. Um, and, you know, so the credit of this solution, I mean, it's, it's always as it is, right? Like you start with this easiest thing that it can work and then you keep using it until it doesn't work anymore. And I, and I think when I joined, we were at that point where Dashboards would take a long time to to load, you know, sometimes like over a minute um, for each chart. Doing analysis was very complicated on anything that was not, you know, the last two weeks of data. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of challenges. Even creating new data sets or transforming data was um, a very manual process that just one trusted person could do because that involved putting things into production and whatnot. So it was. Um, you know, I would say that that platform was at the end of, of the line. Uh, you know, it, it, it couldn't scale anymore. And, you know, it, it was already failing over, I would say, with only two people working on it. Okay. All right. So 
when you started building it, um, you you started building this this new data platform, which I think is the one you're running right now. I'm, I'm sure it evolved over time as well. Um, but you, you started uh, building it based on the modern data stack, right? That's correct. Um, how was the transition, right? Because obviously the, the platform before, well, or like you said, the platform was really non-existent. Exactly. So how was the how was the transition or, or the, the migration uh, from from the old more old school platform towards a more modern data stack? I mean, I'd say in the first two three months, um, you know, I spent quite a bit of time speaking to the stakeholders, trying to understand what they needed. Also speaking with um, the technology team, understanding how you know we could set up something new speaking with compliance and security uh, to understand, um, you know, what regulations should be mm. taking into account. I mean, for sure, like GDPR and whatnot, it applies yes. all over Europe. But I was coming from the UK, so I was also curious, okay, is there anything else that I should know before mm. we build anything? And while doing all this, um, I, I managed to get one of uh, a data engineer, a very skilled data engineer to join my team who was already at the company. And, you know, we started setting up the cloud data warehouse. We started setting up um, Airflow, uh, DBT and whatnot. And I would say the bare basics were done in, in a month or so, uh, maybe a month and a half. So that was pretty quick. Um, you know, once you get the, the buy-in and once you get, you know, uh, compliance, understand what you're doing and security and then everyone align on, on what you're doing, actually doing it was pretty fast. The two data folks that we had before also picked up new tools, Git, GitHub, DBT, uh, all this stuff very, very quickly. And, you know, after, once the platform was ready, I would say maybe... You know, in a week or two, we started already moving uh, data sets from the old um, mm. read replica to the cloud data warehouse. And for sure, we had a, like a project plan. We had like hundreds of things that we needed to move and, and whatnot. But thanks to the speed that we could move, not, not the speed of the database itself, but actually, you know, the speed that we could move the, the data folks building these new data sets and testing them and making sure that everything was correct. Um, I'd say maybe in a, in a couple of months or so, most of the data sets were, um, were moved. So mm -hmm. it was, it was actually very cool because you could see, um, yeah, the, the folks building the data sets, how happy they were that they could ship things daily and not just <laughs> right whenever the person who has got access to production is allowed mm. to, to ship, um, also the stakeholders. I mean, it was a bit of a lift and shift. So, you know, we improved some stuff, but a lot of it was just things being faster, to be honest. Mm. You know, <laughs> things that would take a, a minute to load, now would load in seconds. So that helps a lot on, on the stakeholders and people trying to self-serve on data. Absolutely. Like that, that. That's also interesting because you said that uh, you you obviously had the two data people within the team, and I started picking up new tools. Just from a strategic perspective, uh, it, it sounds like you cross trained them, like you you upskilled them. Yes. Was it not like for many companies? It's actually rather than upskilling, they rehire. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because to to match the 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 their current needs or the new needs. What what made you decide to say no, man? We're, we're just upskill our people rather than uh, getting fresh blood into the company. I mean, we in parallel we're also hiring new people, right? But um, no, right. We, you know, we had two folks that were super smart and super experienced in the data sets and how they were used and whatnot. So if I had started and I had no one, I just found all these data sets uh, there lying for me to move, I would have taken much, much, much longer because you need a lot of context on why things were done certain way or not another. Also, we could um, delete some stuff on the during the transition. So, you know, being all based on SQL, it, it was, you know, a bit of a upskill in terms of using Git and using um, dbt and whatnot but it was you know they they were they i think they had a great time learning new things to be honest (laughs) so pretty sure they had it's just that i was wondering because yeah i i I tend to see that quite a lot that uh, when organizations move to new tools or they um they do new stuff that they try to get pure flesh, uh, fresh blood, uh, rather than upskilling who they have, especially if you have smart people, right? They pick up new technologies. Exactly. Uh, I mean, and to be honest, most people do that we have hired since, most analysts and analytics engineers, most of them had not worked with DBT in the modern data stack before. So, you okay. know, we just hired for uh, smart people driven and that mm. have done some SQL. And then we'll, uh, when they on board, we train them uh, on, on these new tools. Right. That's one way to uh, counter the shortage of labor. A very smart way, right? Uh, cr- uh, upskill the people, right? Um, in, in some terms, yeah. also, it's um, a benefit from, you know, like you can sell it as, you know, you, you come with us and we'll teach you all these cool things that everyone now is using. So. Absolutely. I agree. And I think that also increases the the retention rate of, of your people, right? Because if they're continuously learning and if they're being paid well and, and they got cool projects, why should exactly. they look around, right? Why exactly. should they look somewhere else? Yeah, no, cool. So when you were, uh, so obviously you said the whole transition was fairly smooth, right? Um, and, and you got up to speed fairly quickly with, with moving the data sets. Um, but I'm sure you, you you came up with challenges, right? And I'm not sure, maybe GDPR might have been a challenge. I can imagine there's a lot of personal data. Or did you, let me ask differently, what challenges did you face in general when, when you were moving uh, from the old school platform to the modern data stack? Um, because it was a new thing, actually. We thought all the governance and compliance um, architecture, and that's you know a bit what my second blog post is about, you know, from the ground up. So we built it in so that um, we were managing GDPR and compliance like from the ground up. So that was pretty nice. As opposed to, I have a big mess and everyone accessing everything and I don't know what's mm-hmm. happening here. Um, so that was uh, pretty good. But the biggest challenge that we had at the time was um, six months before me joining, we started using a, a sales CRM. Um, and our analytics platform only had information from the main database that the cloud application was using. So we were missing a huge part of the customer experience, but also uh, all the sales processes, which are super important for monetization and for understanding how the sales team is doing. So we uh, we brought in Fivetran, which is this tool that allows us to centralize all the data in one place and 
you know, it took us a few more months to integrate all this data, to be honest, because uh, it was complex and you had a lot of processes that were not, you know, 100% always followed and, and stuff like this. And there's always outliers and whatnot. So I'd say we, we were gaining maturity in our platform and, and ways of using data, but also we're bringing maturity to the processes and to the areas where we could give visibility, right? So if I chart something and says, oh, this, this metric makes no sense. Why is it so high? Then you can dive in and say, actually, this person is not following the process or adding, you know, not having the comma in the decimal place. And now, you know, the, the revenue seems super high, right? And <laughs> through this process of, we provide you something, you look into it, say if it makes sense, we were gaining a lot of uh, maturity, as I said, uh, both in the analytics side and on different areas of the business. Mm. And that takes time. Okay. Yeah, no, uh, I can imagine that. And uh, yeah, it, it's all about the data quality, right? Um, and having like certain standards uh, to make sure that everyone, uh, like the data producer, exactly uh, abides to the to the right rules across the organization. Um, but yeah, I love how you said uh, we, we started with GDPR stuff at quite early stages, because I think many, many organizations like kind of pushed it backwards because no one really wants to do it. Um, and no one really wants to take care of it. And it's always a bit of a, you know, data governance and all that stuff. So a little bit of a, people shy away from it. But if you start it's at the a, beginning. It's a of, of a gamble now. It's 2023. So uh, it's not like it's coming to the PR. It's, it's been here for it's a while. It's there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very true. I still feel like when I speak to organizations that it still, still seems like, yeah, they just shy away from it because no one really knows. And um, yeah, um, it seems to be... Um, still a very difficult topic in many organizations um fair enough so uh, this whole uh, migration right it, it's still despite the issues that you had with the sales crm and then the missing data overall like basically you mentioned one tiny problem that you, it seems like you resolved quite easily um for this migration what did you think was the most crucial part to be successful did you think that you, you did you feel like it was the people around you right you, you said you had very smart people that were upskilled was it more like a mindset thing across the organization right that you had strong backing from mm. leadership teams and they believed in data was it um was it the technologies that you used um yeah what do you think made this whole transition so successful or so smooth i mean i'd say it's always people, you know, like mm. technologies, you know, you can choose one or the other, but like tools these days are pretty good. You know, you pick a Cloudera warehouse, you know, most, most, most likely you'll get a good one. Um, mm. But certainly having those smart individuals that were already in the company that were super aware of how the data was being used, but they didn't have the right tools was very, very important. And on the other hand, I'd say the whole, like most people and most departments that we spoke with, they were super data hungry already. Mm. Okay. Um, so it was more of a prioritization issue. It's like, okay, let's start with products, sales, and then um, we, we left marketing a bit later because we were um, doing pretty well in that regard. But in any area that, in any department that we parted with, they were um, super happy to have, you know, a faster turnaround because analysts or engineers could 
ship things in in days not in weeks or months and also we could provide much more um, detail on things right before maybe we could just see at things um say at, at a day level and now we could provide much more data and say actually let's look at the hourly changes or instead of looking at the last three months because our database cannot take any more load we can now give you the whole year of um of what happened in your area say maybe marketing or whatever it might be mm. so i think this combination of great people with good tools and great stakeholders just made it not easy but um simpler or easier than it could have been for sure right yeah i, I love that uh, most people were already data hungry because i i feel like in many organizations that's um that's really the bottleneck right that you need to i mean i get it it's it's scary to be now a data producer and being responsible for that but um and many organizations still don't understand the power of data. So I think, yeah, from, I think that probably was a big, a, a very big positive thing um, because yeah, the more I speak to head offs, like it's always like it's, it's they do great stuff. Um, the technology is great, but then when you try to ship it to, um, to your employees, it's always like, you're always faced with a little bit of resistance. Um, and I yeah. think it's very important also to know where they're coming from, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Because it could have been that, and in some areas we found it is that because in the past we could not provide what they needed, they thought, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be bothering with the data team anymore. Right. You know? Fair enough. So you had had to, in some limited cases, like win back the, the trust of those departments or those people. Um, in some other areas, um, yeah, they didn't see enough value to justify, okay, now you're asking me to be more careful with the data we provide, you know? Um, and it's it's also about picking your battles. And sometimes you work with another department and then you make a, a success out of the department and say, actually, we could do something similar um, with your department here. Um, but yeah, I think overall it was pretty smooth, to be honest. Like I didn't have many many of these challenges. Okay. That's uh, pretty much the exact opposite from what I usually hear. <laughs> so fair enough to Clark. Uh, fair oh, enough. Like uh, me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, honestly, it sounds fantastic. Um, so when you uh, in your blog as well, and and there was something that I was that was wondering about because I know on the market there's different opinions on that. You used a SaaS tool, right, to integrate your data to your wa data warehouse. Sure. And I know they split opinions about that. Uh, mm -hmm. So why did you not do it yourself? Like some say do it yourself, some say use a software as a service tool. What was your thinking or your decision process when you said, no, we're using a SaaS tool? So, I mean, there were two things. One is I didn't have time to build. Um, mm. some, I mean, we didn't have enough people or time to build it ourselves. That was one. And also in my previous role, um, we had bid it ourselves because we started in, I don't know, 2016 or so um, to build something like this. And it, we didn't have the wealth of tools that we have today. And, you know, when, when you build these things, it's always fun. You know, you, you get an engineer or, or a small set of engineers to start building these integrations and whatnot. And then they come up with their own little framework and, and life's good. But when you're building or you're working on something else and then suddenly Google decides to change their API 
or they change the certificate you know, authentication method or whatever it might be, right? Once you have a handful of connectors, you know, you would spend a lot of your time just maintaining them and making sure that they run. Mm. So, you know, in terms of actual spam, for sure, you have a line item saying you're spending that much with this SaaS tool. But on the other hand, you have you get a lot of productivity back from people who don't mm -hmm. need to maintain that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I understand that at the beginning, obviously, it was it was driven by not having enough time. Um, but, but your data team grew. Yeah. Are you sticking to your decision to use a SaaS tool, or are you starting to build more now yourself now that you've got the manpower? Um, I mean. You always think about trade-offs, um, and you know if there's an easy integration, say, okay, uh, I just need someone to upload a CSV to an S3 bucket or whatever. We can do that pretty easily, right? Um, but for anything else, you know, I, my experience is I always my backlog is bigger than my team can handle, no matter the team size, right? And integrating with new tools um it's got a cost but the the value usually is much higher and the value of what i can do with something else with an engineer is also much higher than just maintaining integration so for me as i said like if it's a very simple integration um, that i know that will not give me maintenance headaches we might do it in-house but anything that is integrating with third-party tools that might change their APIs or whatever uh, in a heartbeat, I would rather not. Fair enough. Cool. Now, let's, uh, let's move one step further, right? Because the last uh, block was just released, I think, three or four weeks ago, so very recently. Yeah. Um, so you built a solid data foundation, right? You've matured your processes, and recently you also started moving uh, more towards uh, operational analytics. Um what was the actual first step that needed to be done to move towards operational analytics? Sure. So actually we've been doing operational analytics for over a year now. And when I came at Clark, I was quite cautious with it because in my opinion, first you need to have a good, um, a certain level of maturity with your data processes and, and your data and and everything before you want to use that data to do anything customer facing. But what really happened is that we had, um, so we were, we were sending a very detailed emails and, and personalized emails, but the data was coming from the transactional database. So the same database that we first were doing analytics from, we were building like big data set that would send overnight to our email tool and then schedule uh, schedule emails on the back of it say i don't know you, you said you got a your birthday is tomorrow so i would send you uh you know thanks vin for being a clark customer here's something for you whatever right and this worked well again in the first years but at some point um the complexity and the load that was putting on the production database was way too high and i think it was in late 2021 um 
it was way too much. You know, it, the things were failing over and it was having a customer impact because the database could not handle this, uh, this big data processing loads. So we kind of had to scramble a bit and take all this big data file building to the data platform because we already had all the data that we needed there. And then that was our first operational analytics integration, basically preparing data set that we could then uh, share with our emailing tool for the uh, CRM team to to build campaigns and, and emails on the back of it. Mm -hmm. There's there's also some other things uh, that I picked up from your blog as well that you need to look out for, right? There was like things like downtime, um, personal info uh, was something that that you mentioned. Um, how do you tackle those differences between analytics and operational analytics? Sure. So um, a, a big part of it is the information architecture that we have. So the data comes in in our data warehouse uh, for any use case. But um, after that, we have a systems of gates and layers and areas. Basically, we, we divide the data warehouse in different spaces. And the analytics layer, as we call it, is separate from the CDP or the, the customer data platform, as we call it, uh, the part of the data warehouse where we do operational analytics. And I think it's super important because, you know, as you mentioned, in the analytics space, you usually don't need personal information, right? Um, you usually aggregate the data, say, I want to see how intake evolves over time, for example, whereas in the operational analytics, you do care about every row. You have to make sure that if I send you an email, you know, I have got your name right and I got your birth right and you know there's no issues with time zones or whatever it might be. So the kind of data it contains and the purpose and also for compliance reasons, um, you know, I might have some data points that I can use for analytics, but I you didn't give my consent to send you emails, right? So I should not be sending you emails. So there's different so it makes sense to separate these these different workloads. And that's what we did. Um, from the ground up, we built a platform that um, first and foremost was for analytics, but also could take on other um, use cases like operational analytics or machine learning. Mm -hmm. So this information architecture, I think in your blog, you called it multi-purpose information architecture, uh, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's um, implicitly is something that many people do. If, you know, Anyone who's got um, a data warehouse that uses it for analytics and operational analytics, they they're doing that. But we were very, um, you know, had a, a big intent on separating them and making sure that uh, we didn't have, we had different governance processes for for both types of processing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're I mean, right. I call it multi-purpose. Okay, okay. Um, so question from my end. So when you started the migration at the very beginning, right, from your old school tech stack more yeah. to, uh, towards the modern data stack, did you already have this multi-purpose information architecture in your head and you knew that eventually this operational analytics stuff will come up, GDPR, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Or was this something that, kind of came as a problem or more as like a fire to to fight um, 
after you, you've set up everything? Or was it already like a big vision of you, hey, at some point we need to do this? It was a, a smaller vision than it ended up being, but for sure. Um, okay. When I, when I joined, I was, I was clearly seeing that we had issues with um, the emailing platform and that we would want to integrate with our sales CRM tool and that we want to integrate with the, the marketing tool. And, you know, there's been quite a lot of uh, blog posts and, and other companies sharing about the space. So we were pretty intentional on separating the analytics from other uh, workloads. But, you know, when, when we started, we had one use case in mind and now we have like three or four that we, <laughs> are, that we are powering. Okay. So when you were setting this up, I can imagine it, it could be also a bit tricky to make sure that the right data is being fed in the right um, in the right system, right? So whenever you use personal data and not. When you set this up, this architecture, or you started, or let's say when you started developing your, your existing modern data stack to fit this multi-purpose information architecture, did you did you find any any particular challenges or at this point it was just very easy to set it up? Um, I mean, the main challenge usually is that the, the way it happened for, for us is would be we, an analyst would do something very cool uh, in the analytics space. Say, you know, I have um, a propensity model, like a, I don't know, a propensity to buy model uh, thing that I'm showing to people and say, actually, customers who come from this marketing channel are more likely to buy than customers who come from this other marketing channel. And then someone would say, actually, that would be super cool if we could have it in our sales CRM, because then I can prioritize how assign these leads to other people, right? Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you have to basically, if, if we consider the analytics one an MVP or, or um, not an MVP, but you know uh, something that is okay if it, if it fails overnight or whatever, because it's only be used for decision-making internally, then you have to go through the process of making it production ready for operational analytics. And in that case, you know, we have higher standards on testing and, you know, reviewing and, and alerting, monitoring and, and all this stuff. Hmm. Okay, um, that, that's pretty interesting. So at this point, right, because you've been doing this for, for, for a bit now, in um in what areas are you already uh, sorry in what areas of operations are you already using analytics so we are sending data from our cloud data warehouse to our emailing and communications mm -hmm. platform really like it would be email sms uh, push notifications and, and other mm -hmm. channels we're sending uh data to the sales crm tool and also, we are sending data to um, the marketing tools, and we're also looking into the service side of things. Um, but that's something that we're just starting to work on now. So when you say service, uh, are we talking about customer service, customer exactly. support? Yeah, okay, that's cool. Interesting, because I was just about to ask uh, w which other areas you look into tackle then, uh, right? But service areas, then the next big operational side of things that you want to feed with analytics. Exactly. So we're starting to look at um, 
incoming request classification. Uh, like we've got some prototypes and whatnot to see if we can speed up the uh, resolution time uh, by mm -hmm. allocating the request to the right team. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a quick question in between, right? Sure. Uh, because uh, we, we obviously have like, we have chatbots, right? Um, and you, you surely there is options to connect them with ChatGBT, for example, or just an LLM, right? Uh, it doesn't have to be ChatGBT. Yeah. But um, would it be an option to then, uh, and rather than sending it to the right team, just saying, hey, smaller requests then can be pushed via a chatbot? Because certainly there are certain customer support things that maybe don't require a human, but just are very easily answered. Is that something you're looking into? Is that something that could be interesting or do you want to everything keep human, as human as possible? Um, I think it's, um, it, it's a big, it's possible that we will do it. Um, possible slash probable, we'll see. Um, but but what I'm how I'm thinking about these things is um, when I integrate first with, say, uh, a marketing. Or let's let's put the other example. Let, let's do the uh, the sales CRM integration, right? So you start with with a use case that is obviously valuable, right? And then you make it a success but you build the capabilities and the connectivity within the systems that will allow you to much faster and much cheaply experiment with other things. So that's how I think about the, the service integration. We'll start with something that it's obviously valuable and that mm. will, if we don't do anything else, that's worth it on its own. But we're building the infrastructure and capabilities that will allow us to try things, these things much faster in the future. Okay, cool. That's going to be interesting to see where, where you end up. Um, looking forward then to your third block. Uh, exactly. Maybe we're just going to record a new podcast. Right episode. now it's just like one post per year. So <laughs> we'll, have to wait. we'll have to wait a bit. There's a lot of work in between. That is okay. I'm sure we will maybe even find some time uh, to, to record another episode and discuss that more in detail. But um operational analytics obviously on the cm and sales side of things and i actually have a question about that in a little bit more detail later but um clearly there's already benefits right seeing in which channels someone comes in and is more likely to buy right activate the salesperson you know That's correct, yeah. um what other benefits do you hope to see in the future from operational analytics and it doesn't have to be like financial but also like saving people time or headaches right yeah, exactly. I mean, one, one thing that is not particularly fancy, but it's super valuable is just making sure you have the same data everywhere. You know, um, let's, let's put Clark as an example. If, if you provide data to us, say, you know, I'm, I've got a partner, I'm married, I have no kids, I have a dog, I own a house, whatever, like your information. We need to have this information everywhere that we speak with you, right? You don't want to be calling uh, customer service and then explain again what you just told us on, on the app, right? Right, or, absolutely. Or you don't want to be receiving an email that it's obviously a generic email without taking into account your personal situation. Mm -hmm. So in terms of operational analytics, because we've centralized all the data for decision-making, it's 
such a value add to actually make sure that the data everywhere is the same by pushing it from the central data warehouse to all these different tools and channels. Mm. So again, I think everyone can think of fancy machine learning or smart or you know uh, options and solutions, but just making sure that you have all the relevant information everywhere to have a personalized experience and that you're not forcing the customer to repeat the same thing multiple times. These are already like something that is completely obvious, but it's super valuable. And hmm. it's challenging because as explained before, the first use case for us was because our data feed from the application to the, the email tool was just falling over and we could not provide the richness and the stability that we would need to send emails uh, that are personalized and, and timely. Hmm. Uh, maybe you wanna you wanna help some government body uh, government bodies with that because um, I, I had to laugh because that's exactly what's been happening, right? Um, when, when I call through the so any government body, like it's always the same. Like you, you call through the switchboard and you explain everything there. Then he gives it to the next person. You explain everything exactly. to that person. Then they're like, oh, we are not right for you. Then you go to the next person and you have to explain everything. And honestly, like you you might say that it seems like something small but i don't think that i think the obviously you're a company so from my personal opinion i mean what am i going to do with the government body right it is what it is right but i think from a customer experience perspective i can see that definitely making life easier because i think most people are already annoyed if they have to call customer service right so to make that smoother for them i think it's going to give you a really um an, an advantageous um edge over, over a lot of other companies exactly so, and it's not yeah just i think that, it's cool it's not just that we might ask you again about something is that what if the information is wrong you know because um yeah it, like something that i've seen some companies struggle with is that they generate like silos you know you, you provide some information in one system and it stays in that system but then another system you, you said something else at that you know another point in time so maybe in the app, you told us that you just got married, but our sales system still thinks that you are mm. single because that's what you told us when you called us first time. You know, mm -hmm. that's a terrible, terrible experience. And then you can compound this by all the systems that you need in a modern company, you know, the marketing systems, the email system, the whatever, the back office systems. Um, so making sure that you have a single source of truth that you can trust, and then you can take this trusted data and push it to everywhere that people are uh, talking with the customer, that's uh, incredible in terms of making sure that this customer feels understood and, and valued. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it also makes you feel like not just a number, right? You know me, you know the updates and all that stuff. I think it adds a lot of value. Like, uh, I think you shouldn't play that down. I think it's great, actually. I, I, I love that. Because, yeah, like I said, I've been calling the government bodies uh, over the last few weeks, and I've been having the same problem. That's why I had to laugh. Because I was just wondering, well, how many times do I have to explain to you why I'm calling? Like, I have to explain it to the whole business. At, that, at some point, everyone in your organization knows who I am, what I'm doing, because I need to speak to everyone somehow. Now, I think that that's, that's fantastic. Um, now, going back to... Uh, to um, the sales activation uh, project, right? Because sure. 
Um, you, you've mentioned it in one of our conversations, and I'm pretty sure it was also aligned in the blog that mm-hmm. uh, you use data to empower different departments. And I remember this one um, specific project, which you already mentioned a couple of times, is that the salespeople, um, you, you give them data to tell the salespeople um, where which customer is more likely to convert, more likely to purchase a new project, uh, project sorry, um, which gave the salespeople the ability to, to upsell and cross-sell. Yeah. Now, from your blog, that was the very first ML project that was released in production successfully. That's correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the project in depth? Because I think it's quite cool to go from the early stages of analytics to then doing more, more advanced stuff. Um, it would be great just to find out a little bit more about the project, its benefits, um, how you did that, like moving from a normal analytics to more advanced analytics and offering like um, machine learning solutions that actually went into production and actually worked as they were supposed to work. Yeah. So um, let me start by explaining why we chose that product, that project as the first one. And it's because we knew that building the infrastructure um, to start doing ML would require you know quite a bit of a big investment so we wanted to be able to say yes we spent a lot of time and resources building this capability but now you know here's the uh the results of focusing on a and a project that would give financial um benefits right off the bat it was like uh i might be the right thing to do so what we're doing is um customers would um, qualify themselves for different products um, using using the app, right? Like imagine that you start um, showing interest in, say, um, I don't know, life insurance, and then it, and then at some point you just drop off and say it, it's similar to the abandoned cart problem, right? Like you actually mm-hmm. you're you're showing very likely that you want to to buy something, and then you kind of just forget about it. Maybe life, life happens. Maybe you had something in the, in the kitchen, you need to run through it, and then you forget about your life insurance, whatever. So we had a system that uh, collects all these leads of people who've got uh, some propensity to buy and then rank them or score them. Uh, and then we have a customer success team saying, hey, Vin, uh, you were very close to to getting this this done, why is there anything we can do for you? Like, is there anything that is not clear or you need more information on or whatever it might be? So that's um, having this lead scoring system, it's super important, one, to make sure we help the people who need help, but also very importantly that we don't bother people who actually are just looking around. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what we did. And basically it's looking at um, demographics of the, each person, right? Because some products will better benefit or are more likely to be purchased by certain demographics, right? Like you would not typically buy, um, I don't know. Um, I don't have any, an example in mind, but basically each product more or less have got a, a prime demographic. So it, it wouldn't make sense to call you if you're just out of the university, for example, for mm-hmm. certain products. So 
we have the demographic side of it, and then we have the behavioral side of it. So how often you've been checking that product? Have you been reading about it? Um, um, and so forth. And by combining these two, we can have a score, and then we use to prioritize those leads. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, a, a couple of things here. Um, when I recorded the, the podcast about uh, how to generate value uh, through data science fast with uh, Florian from NKD. He said something similar, right? He's like, you need to show really business value because this, these are costly projects, right? And I'm, I'm sure when, when you when you immediately showed uh, some financial value, I think your CFO probably was really, really happy to see that the costs are being <laughs> put in the right place, right? Um, exactly. But that's it, uh, showing value through data. And I'm sure this project must have made very a lot of people happy in the Clark organization, in the leadership team. Exactly. I mean, but as I said before, I think it's it's very important to, like in my opinion, to think short term but build long term, right? So we build short term like a project that brings a lot of um, uh, revenue benefits or monetary benefits, but also we have now build a platform and it's, half of it is a platform and the other one is other half is the, the knowledge in the team and in the people on how to build these things so that the next machine learning project doesn't take us a quarter takes us a month right mm. and and I, I think of it as a bit of you know like uh, building an iron mine or something that is gaining capabilities right like you start with something very bare bones and then over time, things that should seem to be very complex or, or slash impossible start to seem easy or feasible, at least. Um, so a project that you might not start with in terms of um, categorizing incoming uh, requests from customers, which you know would have been difficult to justify that investment to begin with. Now, because we have the platform, it's something we can try in, in weeks and, and not quarters. Mm, cool. So, um, having said that, um, are there similar projects on the horizon that you're looking to to put into production or, or tackle? Uh, in terms of um, customer facing ones, I mean, we have the lead scoring. We are uh, prototyping these um, income request classification incoming request classification. And then um, we're starting to think about improving our recommendation engine with more advanced machine learning mm. techniques. Uh, so product recommending recommendation engine. The, the trickiness about this one is that one, we need to make sure that the recommender recommends things that are good for you. So, you know, there needs to be a lot of um, monitoring and, and guidelines to make sure we are not recommending the wrong product to someone because, you know, that's what we do, right? Right now we have a, a pretty advanced and sophisticated uh, rules engine built by our insurance experts, but I think we can not maybe um, you know, change it all together, but basically supplement it somehow with a, a machine learning approach. But to do that also, we need a, an API that allows us to uh, expose these uh, recommendations to the application and other services. So we're 
also building such capabilities now. Again, starting with one use case, but also thinking on, I might have other use cases in the future that might want to use this API that I'm not even thinking about now. So we're building, you know, I, we've got a di diagram with little boxes and we are just building different boxes and then we're improving them over time and, mm. you know, um, different parts of the data platform get, get better and faster and, and more capable over time, which is actually quite exciting. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool. Um, so it sounds like Clark is 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 nailing the data game. Um, yeah, uh, it very much sounds like you're nailing the data game. I wouldn't say that much, but definitely I think we are doing a lot of good and exciting things for sure, and valuable uh, things, importantly. Um, look, one, one final question. Um, looking back, right, you've got obviously plenty of experience. And you, you've got you've worked in a few companies and you've done great stuff over across your career. But specifically now at Clark, if looking back, if knowing what you know now, mm -hmm. what would you have done di uh, differently, or would you have done anything differently um, if you could turn back time? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, it's it's a matter of uh, perspective, right? I think we did the right things with the information that we had. But for sure, maybe we prioritize some departments or some projects that actually didn't go as far as we wanted them to go. So we could have done something else differently. But um, I, I, I think my close to two and a half years, we haven't done any major mistake or anything like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty content with how we did things, to be honest. Okay, cool. Um, I have to say that's probably more of one of the rare answers. Um, I was expecting some some horror stories, right, that, that happened across your time. Uh, but fair enough. Uh, like I was saying, uh, from everything you've been telling me, uh, it seems that definitely Clark is, um, yeah, more on the stronger side on the data things and the projects and, and especially the execution and, and also data activation, right, because that's also super important. Um, if you don't act upon the data and analytics that you have, then what, what's the point, right? Yeah, I mean, if you don't generate I, I mentioned it in, before, but I, I'm a big believer on, you know, small iterations and keep improving, right? And if you don't commit, say, a full quarter or, or the full year on something, and you just try things out smaller, you know, but, okay, we need to do this thing. Let's let's do the, the smallest thing that we can work and then if 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 we see that it doesn't go very far we can always just like shut it down or, or just mm. leave it as it is and you know it's a simple thing that doesn't doesn't fail over mm. and, and and we've done this a lot a lot so we build the simplest thing that we can uh, that we can once we find it valuable then we invest more on it on making it more robust more capable uh, and whatnot without pinning ourselves into a corner so that we can do this growth once we started one path. Hmm. Well, wonderful. Well, Danny, thank you very much uh, for your time and just sharing a little bit of your of your journey at Clark or across the last uh, couple of years. Um, I think it's super interesting, and I really hope that some people will will see that data is not as scary if used right. Right? It's it's beneficial and it's helpful. Um, so thank you very much for joining me and everyone else listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks, Vin. It was a uh, super fun to be here.